Amen. Excellent job, Lundy family. Excellent job, girls. Enjoyed that. Boy, I'm telling you what, some good singing there. It said there in that verse, I never, I never caught this. Y'all sang that before, just never caught this phrase. It said there's a reason for every star in the sky. Every single one of them. Everyone, you look at the sky, the sky is filled with more stars than you can count, and there's more beyond that and more beyond that. If you remember back when we first started looking at Genesis, we played that video that looked at the galaxies and all that's up there. There's a reason for every single one of them. And yet we are the masterpiece of God's creation. If there's a reason for every star, there's a reason for every human being. God made everyone with a purpose and with a reason. And what is that purpose? To glorify him. Boy, I'm telling you what. Thank you, Lundy family. Great song. Thank you, girls. Y'all did a good job. I really like them ooh, ooh, oohs y'all were doing there. Good job. Very good. Thank y'all for singing for us. We're going to be returning back to the book of Matthew, back to Matthew chapter number 21. I'm not intentionally uh, stretching these sermons out for two services. Matter of fact, I told Pastor Ken a little bit ago, I said, I'm getting a good collection of Sunday night sermons stored up here because I have them prepared and then we just save them. And so uh, anyway, I, he said I'd have a whole book of, uh, of uh, I forget what he said, unpreached sermons or something like that that we could fall back on. But uh, anyway, returning back to Matthew chapter chapter number 21, looking at this parable of the two sons, the parable of the two sons. We began this morning, and uh, mainly what we did this morning is we kind of laid the background. We told the story, of the, the context of what led up to Christ giving this parable. We talked about the Pharisees uh, asking him the question, by what authority do you do what you do? And Jesus responded with a question uh, uh, that was basically telling them, uh, you know what my authority is. The question is, will you accept my authority? And so he gives us this parable in verse number 28 down through verse number 32. He says here in Matthew 21, verse number 28, But what think ye? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, The first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward, that you might believe in him. Now this morning we began looking at this and as I said we talked about the context of this parable being shared. We looked at the Pharisees question. We looked at the question Jesus asked in response and then we began to look at the parable and we talked about the characters that we find in the parable. We saw the father who of course clearly represents God the father and then we saw that there were two sons who were going to represent two different responses to the call of the Father. Then the Lord kind of directed us out of my outline and we focused on that call that God has given us and the need to respond to that call. Now we come back to the outline and we'll be down at point number three, fellas. Point number three at the command, the command that was given by the Father. And so we're going to start there and then we'll see how far the Lord takes us through the rest of this parable this evening. Let's pray and we'll get into the message. Father, we thank you for this day. 
Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you, uh, Lord, that your word is rich. We thank you, dear Lord, that it's powerful. We thank you, dear Lord, that it can minister to us. I thank you, dear Lord, it can convict us, it can challenge us, and it can encourage us. Uh, Father, I thank you that, the Lord, not only is your word powerful and, uh, Lord, uh, applicable, but, Lord, I thank you that it's alive. And, Lord, that you can speak through your word. And, Father, Lord, that you can take control of the message. And, Father, we thank you for it. We thank you for how you met with us in the service this morning. And Father, I pray that we will be people who are answering the call. Now, Lord, as we look this evening, uh, Father, at the command that you gave and Lord, how that relates to us. Father, I pray that you will help us, uh, Lord, to be people who are uh, willing to do what you have called us to do. Thank you, Lord, for each person that is here this evening, blessing the service, and Father, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. There in verse number 28, uh, we see uh, that the Bible says, But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, uh, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. Now the first thing that I want to point out about this phrase, Son, go work today in my vineyard, is that it is a command. Uh, this is not a suggestion. This is not a, a uh, up for discussion. This is not something that he's asking the son, uh, would you like to do that? And boy, I'm telling you, I could run uh, all kinds of rabbit trails right here about modern day parenting, so I'm going to try to rein myself in right here and not go down that rabbit trail, but you can just make the application yourself. Uh, but we see here that this uh, is a command. The father says to the son, this is what uh, I want you to do. Uh, this is what I'm telling you to do. Uh, this is what you are to do. This is a command given by the Father to the Son. The will of the Father for the Son is this, go work today in my vineyard. Now in this parable, we talked a little bit about this this morning, we see two applications in this parable. First we see a call to salvation, but we also see a call to service in this parable. So here in this point that we're looking at, we are looking at the call of every person to serve the Lord. Now the call to salvation and the call to service is one and the same. Many people feel that they can be separated. They look at examples such as Lot who was a, a Christian. The Bible says that he was a just man but he lived wickedly and only because of God's grace and only because of God's mercy was Lot's life spared. But they look at someone like Lot and they say, well Lot didn't live for God so I can be saved and not live for God either. Well, I want you to recognize that out of the entire Bible, Lot is the exception. The norm is that when you are born again, you are called into service. And Lot was living in rebellion to God and he suffered all types of consequences throughout his life because he refused to serve God. Those who feel that they can answer the call to salvation and yet live the way that they want to live will reap the consequences thereof. You want the blessings of God, then you take the whole package and the whole package is a call to salvation is also a call to service. We see uh, when we look at this command, the four things I want to point out to you. First of all, uh, the, what is uh, this command? What uh, is this command? The nature of the command is clearly defined in the first two words that the Father said. Go work. Here's the nature of the command. Go 
and work. This is what I want you to do. This is what I've got available for you to do is to go and work. The work is available. The task is waiting. All that lacks is someone to step up and take responsibility for the work that needs to be done. Someone needs to apply themselves to the job at hand. The nature of this command reveals the need for laborers. Uh, the nature of this command lets us see uh, that the work is not lacking, uh, but the laborers uh, are lacking. We can find plenty of examples of this uh, in our economy today uh, because for whatever reason, it seems uh, that nobody wants to work uh, and employers everywhere uh, are saying the work uh, is plenteous, uh, but the laborers uh, is what we're lacking. Uh, this is the same thing that Jesus faced then. It's the same thing now there's no lack of work but there's a lack of laborers we see here that the need for laborers in the work of God is something that is greatly lacking now it would seem that the need for workers would be self-evident it would seem that it would be obvious that there was a task that needed to be done. Now, uh, just a, a, an example, uh, this not speaking well of myself, it's just an example. Folks have made fun of me because I have this habit. Uh, one time, myself and another guy went to look at a boat to buy. And while he was talking to the individual about buying the boat, I noticed that there was a couple screws loose still holding the windshield on. And so I went and got a screwdriver and was fixing the screws in the windshield to make sure that the windshield was okay. Uh, the other day we went over here for our nativity planning meeting and while Brother Nick was talking, I noticed that there were some bolts loose in the picnic table. And so while he was talking, I was tightening the bolts up in the picnic table. Uh, what I'm saying is that there are tasks that are evident. And whenever the task is evident, it seems like we recognize somebody needs to fix that. Someone needs to take care of that. Someone needs to step up and, and apply themselves to this. And, and so it would seem whenever we think about the work of God that the need for laborers would be self-evident. But it seems that no one notices that the work needs to be done. I'm sure you've seen this in your home. Many people have experienced this, or maybe you see it at your workplace. You'll go walking through the room, and here will be a wrapper, a candy bar wrapper, let's say, on the floor. And you will notice as the individuals ahead of you just step over the candy bar wrapper. And it will lay there until somebody bends down and picks it up. And whenever you ask, why did nobody pick this up? Well, it wasn't mine. I didn't drop it. Everybody has reasons why they didn't pick it up. But it doesn't matter who dropped it. Somebody needs to pick it up. Whenever we think of the work of God, there is plenty of work to be done, but it seems that nobody notices the work. Only, somebody only has to watch the direction of the world around you for a short while to notice the desperate need of mankind for a savior. Now the devil, the devil is sly. And the devil is trying to create this mindset of everybody's good. All, all these good people, they may not go to church, but they're good people. They, they, may, they may not dress the way you do, but they're, they're good people. And we try to, to kind of glaze over the fact that they're lost without God. But it doesn't take long to watch the world, even with Satan's trickery, to recognize that this world is full of people who need 
a Savior. But it seems that we're often so caught up in pursuing our own interests and securing our own comforts that we become blind, or perhaps not blind, but callous to the needs of others. There's two areas where the need of man, I believe, is readily evident in our world. We'll just look at these briefly. One is a physical need. Media, news media and relief groups and things like this have kind of brought this one to the forefront, but it still exists. The physical need of the 4 billion people, approximate 4 billion people on earth, 1 billion of them live in extreme poverty, making less than $75 a year. Of those billion, half of them, half a billion, 500,000 people approximately, are starving to death right now. While we're sitting here with our bellies full, while we're sitting here comfortable, while we have everything that we could ask for, there's 500,000 people in our world who are starving to death right now. There's a physical need that is evident. It is something that is real. It is something that needs to be dealt with. There is a physical need. And like I say, there are ministries, there are people who have kind of brought this to the forefront and helped us to see the need of some of these countries around the world, but there's a physical need that still exists. And you know what we hear of this physical need, and even as I shared it just now, I could tell by the look on, your, on our faces, that bothers us, that troubles us. There are people actually starving right now. But there's an even greater spiritual need. Of the 4 billion people approximate on earth, approximately 1 billion of them profess to be Christians. Of the, three, of, the, of the three billion that are left, one billion of them have heard of Christ. Do not profess to be Christians, but they have heard of Christ. The two billion that are left have never even heard of the gospel. They don't know it exists. They don't know that there's a hope. They don't know that there's a way of salvation. When you add to that, that the one billion who profess to be Christian... Thousands, even millions of them have never truly accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. We find out that there is an extreme spiritual need. There is plenty of work to be done. You don't have to go very far. You can go out these doors. You can go to Lexington. You can go to Stewart's Draft. You can stay here in Rafine. And you can find people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. There is a great spiritual need that must be met. Is there work to be done? Absolutely. There is work to be done. When we try, Who are we to say there is no work to be done? When Jesus said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. So first we see the nature of the command. What is it that the Father has asked of the Son? He said, go and work. The second thing that we see concerning this command is the timing of the command. The timing of the command. When are we to obey? When are we to obey the command? There in verse number 28 he said, but what think ye? A certain man had two sons and he said, he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. 
When are we to go to work? When is it that we're to take, put our hand to the task? I remember whenever I was a, a young teenager, I, I would see the farmers. They would go down the road pulling them square bellers, and I knew it was time for me to make some soda money. I was ready to get me a couple dollars, three bucks an hour is what them fellas paid me. And boy, I'm telling you, I'd see the beller going. I'd jump on my bicycle. I'd pedal down there to the field, and I'd ride up to the guy, and he'd turn the tractor off and say, Yeah, son. I say, you need any help? He'd say, get on the wagon. I mean, there wasn't no come back tomorrow. There wasn't any we'll start after lunch. It was get on the wagon. You want to work? There is work to be done, and we need it done right now. Now is the time. Today. Today. When are we to apply ourselves to the Master's call? Today. When are we to look for opportunities to minister to the lost? Today. When are we to be busy sharing the good news of the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ? Today. When are we to write that letter and tell someone about the Lord today. When are we to reach out to those people that are hurting that we know that we can help today, today, today. Son, go work today in my field. We see that first the nature of the call is that we're to go work. Second, the timing of the call. When are we to obey? We are to obey today. This little five-letter word speaks of the urgency of the task. There's no time to wait. There's no time to postpone. So often we want to wait. I've been guilty of that. I know someone, something. Matter of fact, as I was looking over this sermon for tonight, I thought of someone that I had been told about. I've never met them, but someone else had told me about them and that they're going through a rough time. And I had told the person, I said, well, I'd be glad to reach out to them, talk to them sometime. As I was reading over this message this evening, I thought, today quick as I could I pulled out my phone and I sent a text to that person I said there's no time to waste well oftentimes we, we want to wait we want to wait till a better time a better opportunity we want to make sure and I understand that there are times when we need to be conscious of the situation and make sure that we are not offensive in presenting the gospel and these things but there is no time to wait the time to work the urgency is today Bible says in Proverbs 27 and verse number one you know this verse boast not thyself of tomorrow for no man knoweth what, tomorrow, what a day may bring forth James 4.13 go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow story is told of D.O. Moody standing to preach in Chicago preaching to the largest crowd he had ever preached to up to that point in his ministry. He preached on the subject, what will you do with Jesus? Dale Moody preached a powerful message to this tremendous crowd of people. What will you do with Jesus? As he concluded his message, he said, I want you to go home and think about what I've said and come back next week and decide what you are going to do with Jesus. Ira Sankey began to sing the closing song. And as Ira Sankey began to sing, they heard the wail of fire engines in the background. And that was the night of the Chicago fire. Moody said, I never saw those people again. By morning, the city lay in ashes. And I never had the opportunity to ask them, what they were going to do with Jesus. Moody said, never, ever, ever again will I postpone asking someone to make a decision 
for the Lord Jesus Christ. We see what? We see the nature of the command. We see the timing of the command. We're to do it today. But then we see the place of our work. We see the place of our work. Where to fulfill the command. Where, where are we to fulfill this command? He said in verse number 28, But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. This conveys the message that the work to be done is God's work. You know what? We are a busy bunch of people. Matter of fact, this is probably one of the busiest generations that has ever been. We are extremely busy people. We are busy here, busy there, going, going, going. Uh, there are uh, some folks who are not industrious uh, and do apply themselves, but there are many, many people uh, who are very, very industrious, who have given themselves uh, to being hard workers, getting up early, working hard, burning the candle at both ends. Uh, they go, 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 work, work, work. Uh, they are people who give themselves uh, to labor. They are not lazy. Uh, uh, they are not people who, who uh, just let life go by. They work, uh, and they work hard, but the problem is uh, they're not working for God. You see, the work that is to be done is God's work. And a problem that exists among Christians is we excuse not working for God because of our busyness. We excuse it. I'm so busy, I just can't. I have so many things that I'm doing. And, and the things that we are doing as far as the world is concerned are good, worthwhile things. It's not, I'm not talking about people who are wasting their life like the prodigal son did. I'm talking about people who are actually trying to make the best of their life. But the problem is they use that as an excuse for not working where God wants them to work. The, the father said to the son, he said, go work today in my vineyard. Now there was one son who said, I will not, and we'll maybe look at him and just a minute, there was another son who said, I go, sir, and he went not. Now, I don't know why he went not. It could be that he just didn't want to do anything, but it could also be that he was more interested in pursuing things of his own interest rather than pursuing what his father wanted him to pursue. The hard truth is that most contemporary Christians have never done any consistent work for the Lord. Uh, they have never applied themselves uh, to the work of God. Uh, there are many people who claim to be Christians who have never served uh, in a church office. They have never taught uh, a Bible lesson. Uh, they have never witnessed to anyone. They've never brought a friend or a family member to church with them. Uh, they, have, uh, they rarely pray. Uh, they rarely read the Bible. Uh, but they feel and they have convinced themselves... Uh, that God is pleased with them. They've never done anything concerning the work of God, but they've convinced themselves, God is pleased with me, and God understands my non-performance. God understands just how busy I am. He does. He does understand. He understands that's why you're not working for him. He understands that you have ignored his command to lay not up treasures upon this earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but rather lay up treasures in heaven. You've ignored that and you've focused on the things of this world. Does he understand? Yeah, he understands where your weakness is, but many, many have never applied themselves to the work 
of the Lord. Where are we to work? There's coming a day when I believe there will be many individuals, many individuals, and I'm not thinking of anyone in particular. I just know that I've seen many professing Christians who I believe this would apply to. There's coming a day when they're going to stand before an almighty God and give account of their lives. And many will find themselves in the place of the son who said, I go, sir, but never, ever went. I, I believe that there, the, the, the nation is full of well-intended Christians. People who have every intention of soul winning. They have every intention of inviting their neighbor. Uh, they have every intention of memorizing scripture. They have every intention uh, of teaching the word of God. They have every intention uh, of doing these things, uh, but they have stayed busy, 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 busy with the things of God, uh, and they come to the end of their life, uh, and they're going to stand before God, uh, and he's going to want an account of their life, uh, and the only thing they'll be able to say uh, is that they never, Pastor Kent, got around to it. They were never able to accomplish what God had called them to do. What, what is the work? When are we to do the work? What is the work that we're to do? And then the fourth thing that I see concerning this command, we'll back, back up to the beginning of it, and that is who is the command given to? Who is this command given to? He said, but what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son. Son. Who is this command given to? Here we see that the command is given to the son. This verse speaks of the duty of a son to do his father's bidding. In the word of God, when the Bible is instructing us as parents concerning raising earthly children, the Bible gives us this instruction, Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. This is the example that God gives in the Bible for parenting and raising children. This is the instruction that he gives to earthly children. Obey your parents in the Lord. He then goes on and after a child is grown, he speaks of honoring your parents. And we could get into an entire message on the difference between those two. That's not the subject of tonight's message. But the picture that I'm trying to make is that the Bible teaches that earthly children are obligated, obligated to obey their parents. Y'all pray for me. I'm having a real hard time not diving into a parenting message here. <laughs> they are obligated according to the word of God, according to their creator, according to the, 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 the God who designed all of mankind. Children are obligated to obey their earthly parents. This is how the home is set up. This is how God designed it. This is how it works. But the picture that we're looking at here is that the earthly home gives us an illustration of our relationship to our heavenly father. So if earthly children are obligated to obey their earthly parent, then spiritual children of God are obligated to obey their heavenly father. There 
is some obligation that comes with being a part of the family of God. There are many people who are interested in Christianity because they want to have a part of the blessing. They want to have a part of the benefit. They want to have eternity in heaven, but they're not interested in being obligated to their father. But the Bible teaches me that a son is to be obedient to his father. This is what the Bible teaches. Not for reward, not for recognition, but simply because that's my position. He's the father, I'm the son, I am obligated to obey him. We see here that the command is given to the son. If you've been born again, and I pray that you have, but if you've been born again, there was a time when you were not a son. There was a time when you were a disobedient subject of the king of glory. But as John said, when you were saved, now are we become the sons of God. Boy, I'm telling you, that just makes you want to shout right there. I mean, we've been adopted. We are joint heirs. We are part of the kingdom. We are not as strangers anymore. We are not cast outs anymore. We have been included in the family of God. We are part of his family. We have become sons of God. And along with the privileges of sonship come some responsibilities. And there's plenty of privileges when you're a child of God. Oh my goodness, there are so many blessings. There are so many benefits. Uh, there are so many good things uh, that he pours out. Matter of fact, the Bible says no good thing will he withhold from them who love him. I mean, he will open up the windows of heaven. He will pour out blessings more than we can contain. The Bible says pressed down, shaken together, and running over will he give into our bosom. But along with the privileges come some responsibilities. And the responsibility is that his sons were obligated to obey the father. Along with being a son, we're called to be an ambassador. We are called to be a light in a dark world. We are called to let this world see Jesus in me. May we ever be as Jesus when he was here on earth. And he said, I must be about my father's business. It's an old classic gospel song. Don't hear it sung much anymore. I don't know if I've ever heard a song, honestly. Old gospel song, though, but the writer put it down like this. He said, I came on business for the king. I can't just stand here and do my own thing because I came on business for the king. I want to say that the son is the one who is asked to do the work. We see whenever we look at this command, it is a command. We see that it is given to the Son. We are to go, we are to work in His vineyard and we're to do it now. This is the command that was given. But then if we continue to look at this parable, we see that the Lord gives us an example of how these people respond to the call. We see the comparison we see in verse number 29, the first son that was asked, he says in verse number 29, he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. 
You know what I feel like this this fits a lot of our description. You remember whenever he first came knocking on your door. Uh, you remember that first time you felt the conviction uh, of the Holy Ghost on your life. You remember when uh, the Lord began to pull uh, and to draw uh, and to call you. Uh, and at first uh, you said, I don't know if I want to do that. Uh, I don't know if I want to make that commitment. Uh, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. Uh, I don't know if I can. You know how we often think that it's up to us and things that we can do. I don't know if I can live up to the standards. I don't know if I can obey the rules. Uh, I don't know if I can do it. I don't think I can do that. At first we reject, but he continues knocking. Aren't you thankful for the mercy of God that continues knocking, keeps on coming, keeps on pleading, keeps on asking. We see here that this son at first said, I will not, not going to do it, Dad. That's not what I had planned for today. That doesn't fit into my schedule. But afterward, he repented and he went. I see three things in this son here. We could, we could preach a whole message on this right here, but we see first of all initial rejection of the call of God an initial rejection but then we see an eventual repentance and after that eventual repentance we see some obvious results let me just say right here that true repentance will produce obvious results whenever you truly repent and believe the gospel there is something that happens the Bible says old things are passed away behold all things are become new there is a change in me we have become a new creature and the change that takes place is that the Holy Spirit of God moves on the inside and he takes up residence inside of me and when somebody as big as God moves into somebody as small as me, you're going to notice the difference. It bothers me that there are so many people who profess to be believers who there is no obvious results of the fact that they believe God. This is just practical in my mind, and maybe I'm just simple. Sometimes I thank the Lord that I'm simple. You know, Peter, he said, how can, we, how can we do this? We're unlearned men. And God said, you're just the kind I want. I think I fit that description. But you know what? If I were to remove all the spiritual workings, I was to remove the fact that the Holy Spirit moved in. I was to remove the fact that God spoke to me. I was to remove the fact that this was an inspired book. I was to remove all that. And just, just apply common sense. Brother Ted... If I read a book and I believe the book, the book will change how I act. No spiritual influence, no, no divine inspiration, just simply the fact that I like what I read, I believe it, and it changes how I do things. We've all had things that do that. Maybe it was a book you read. Maybe it was a, a TV show you watched. Or maybe it was a, someone who told you something that influenced you. You believed what they said and it changed the way you act. And whenever I think about that, that just thinking of common sense, uh, if I believe the book, the book's going to change how I act. I do not understand when I add in the divine inspiration uh, and I add in the indwelling Holy Spirit of God how people uh, can even try to say uh, that they can be born again and there's no change in who they are. There was uh, repentance and there was results. The first son initially rejected God. He eventually repented and it was obvious and that he went 
and serve the father. Then we see the comparison of the second son in verse number 30. And he came to the second and said, likewise. In other words, he gave him the same command. Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Now, in the first son, I see that he initially rejected his father, but he got his heart right, and he went and served the father. In this second individual, I see a completely different response. When I look at this second individual, I see, first of all, that he had a slick tongue. We all know somebody like that. They know how to say, excuse me, they know how to say what you want to hear. They know what you're listening for, and they know how to say it. He said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he said, I go, sir. (laughs) Don't you worry about me. I got it. I'm going. And then after dad went on to do whatever dad was going to do, he got in his car and left. He went not. He was slick-tongued. He knew how to say what they wanted to hear. And you know what? Sometimes we can fool men with that, but you will never, ever, ever fool God with a slick tongue. But boy, there's a lot of people who try to. First of all, we see he was slick-tongued, but not only that, we see that he had synthetic respect. I go, sir. You see, the first son, he just said, nope, not going. I will not. No, 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 No pretend respect here. Dad, you've irritated me. I'm not doing it. This guy, he had, he had pretend respect. He said, I go, sir. But we know that there was no respect because of his actions. You all know the saying. It goes good to rehearse it once in a while. Actions speak louder than words. He pretended that he was going to go. He pretended that he respected his father, but had he respected him, he would have obeyed him. Disobedience is a direct result of disrespect. They go hand in hand together, and because he disrespected his father, he disobeyed his father, but he pretended to respect his father. Boy, I'm telling you what, sometimes you'll meet people who are slick-tongued. They know what to say. They pretend to respect God and the things of God, but they have no intention whatsoever of ever doing anything for God. He was slick-tongued, had synthetic respect, but he was driven by a selfish motivation. I don't know what he went and did. He may have went home and sat on the couch. He may have went and did, uh, played some games with his friends. He may have, I don't know what he did. He may have went fishing. Who knows what he did? But I do know this. The reason that he didn't do the Father's will was because he was pursuing his own will. And that's pretty much across the board. Whenever we don't do the Father's will, this can apply in big areas, this can apply in small areas. Whenever we don't do the Father's will, it's because we're more interested in our own will. Sobering. But it's true. More interested in what I want than in what he wants. He had a slick tongue, synthetic respect, and selfish motivation. After Jesus shared this parable and he had spoken to the Pharisees and the, the, the religious leaders, he said to them, whether of the twain did the will of his father. Now the answer is pretty obvious and they answered correctly. They said, the first. Although he initially rejected, he is the one who went and did what the Father wanted him to do. 
Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness. Now remember the setting. The setting of this was that they were questioning how Jesus had the authority to do what they did. And Jesus asked them about John. He said, John came. John came unto you in the way of righteousness. He told you who I was and how I had the authority to do what I was doing. And ye believed him not. But the publicans and harlots believed him. And ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward that you might believe him. He said, John came and told you that I was coming. John told you who I was. He said, but you wouldn't believe him. He said, you rejected him. He said, the publicans and the harlots, the sinners, they heard him, they believed him, they accepted him. He said, and then even after I showed up and you have seen my ministry, you have seen my miracles, you have seen the proof that I am the Son of God, the Messiah, you still refuse to believe the report of who I am he said, I'm telling you, the publicans and the harlots can come into glory and you're going to miss it because you refuse to believe the gospel. You refuse to believe what is obvious. The message here that we see in this parable is simple. And that is this, that salvation, salvation is available to all but it's only obtained through belief and repentance. It's available to everybody. Jesus said, Pharisees, you could have believed in me. Matter of fact, in this passage of Scripture, he doesn't rule them out. They still have opportunity to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is available to you. You can put your trust in me. There are sinners, there are ungodly people who have believed, who have repented, who are following me, and it is available to you as well. But your religion isn't going to do you any good. Your rituals isn't going to do you any good. The only way you will ever get to heaven is to repent of yourself and believe the gospel. Salvation is available to all. Whether you're religious or whether you're living wickedly, salvation is available to all, but it only comes to those who repent and believe. The message of this parable is twofold, yet it's one. The message is a call to salvation and a call to service. The call goes out, will you follow Jesus? Many times when Jesus gave the call to salvation, those are the words that he used. He said to the disciples, come, follow me. Salvation isn't meant to be just a pass to get me into heaven. Salvation is a call to leave all and follow him. He said to the Pharisees, Here's what's going on. There is a call that's went forth. Are you willing to set aside all your religious rituals and come follow me? He said to the publicans and the, and the harlots, are you willing to leave that lifestyle and come follow me? The call is a call to salvation and a call to service. We look here at this parable and we see that Jesus answered their question. They said, how do you have this authority? And Jesus answered so much as saying, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Let's all stand to our feet. We don't normally close to the invitation on Sunday nights, but Miss, De- Miss Melissa, if you'd come and just play a vo- verse of invitation. If you're here tonight and the Lord has spoke to your heart, you come, let us take the Word of God and show you how that you can answer the call to salvation. Perhaps you're here, you're a Christian. The Lord spoke to your heart about answering the command to obey Him and go work in His vineyard. If the Lord spoke to your heart, you come. Thanks for being in the Lord's house this evening. Pray the Lord challenge your heart. Pray the Lord watch over you throughout the week. Do your best to be a witness. Find somebody. Tell them about the hope of the gospel. Let them know that Jesus saves. It's the best news that anybody can ever hear. Let's be that light in the community. Thanks to each of you for being here. Be back Wednesday if you can. Uh, Continue to look at developing our personal Bible study, but I think we're going to kind of change a little bit the way that we're presenting it. Uh, so, uh, but it, it'll be good. I think you'll like it. So come be a part of our Wednesday night services if you're able. I'm going to ask Brother Harry McGregor if he would dismiss us from the service. Daily lives and in our, uh, in our Christian walk. Okay, in Jesus' holy, precious name. Amen. 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 Thank you.